Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? I am your host, Doris Hanson, and we're certainly happy to have you join us tonight and spend some of your evening with us. We do hope that you enjoy our discussion. And again, tonight's show has been pre-recorded. We're taking the full hour for our discussion, and so there won't be any normal telephone call-in time tonight, but we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear uh, your comments or your questions. Um, or your opinions regarding our show tonight. So you can do that by emailing us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com or you can wait until next week when we have another live show and call in and tell us what you think of our discussion tonight. And the primary purpose of this show, of course, is always to bring biblical truths to this culture and specifically to Mormon fundamentalists. And we want them to know that if they would study their Bible and take everything that they study in context, they would come to the understanding that polygamy is not a commandment from God. The commandment instead came from a man. It came from the man, Joseph Smith. And Joseph Smith is the author of the Mormon Church. He's also the author of the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, which the Mormon Church and the polygamists hold as sacred scriptures. The Book of Mormon condemns polygamy, but the Doctrine and Covenants commands polygamy. The LDS Church denounces Mormon fundamentalists and the Mormon fundamentalists denounces the mainline church. And of course, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And more and more, as this culture is presented with biblical facts, uh, we see the polygamy groups as well as the Mormon church are facing an exodus of people out of their religious bondage into the freedom that God gives us in and through Jesus Christ alone. All of this said, so that our viewers would appreciate the value of a family's story of the difficulties they faced when they discovered that Mormonism hides rather than teaches the truth. And the same is true of polygamy groups. Our guest has been a guest on our show in the past. She is a former LDS church member, a former professor at Brigham Young University, a former follower of Joseph Smith. She and her husband were active, temple-worthy members and held several leadership positions, but they experienced a crisis of faith and life began to change for them and their family. She has written their story in a book entitled Unveiling Grace, the story of how we found our way out of the Mormon church published by Zondervan uh, HarperCollins Christian Publishing. I would like to introduce and welcome as our guest and returning guest, Dr. Lynn Wilder. Thank you, Lynn. Doris, it's always a pleasure to be here. You're one of my favorite people. <laughs> well, now that's, that's very kind of you to say that. And of course, it's wonderful to have you on the show. We have fun when you come, when you and your husband come, when the Adams Road comes, and, <laughs> and we just enjoy talking about these things with you. And, and we do get a lot of response from our viewers who enjoy what we talk about. So we hope to do that again tonight. Good. 
Uh, your book is fascinating and it's extremely insightful and anyone who wants to know the truth of why you left the church will find it an interesting read and hopefully it'll also give those people who are doubting uh, whether they're uh, from the mainline LDS church or from polygamy groups, I hope it'll give them the courage to follow through with those doubts mm -hmm. and uh, perhaps find the beauty of biblical uh, truths. When, when was your book released and uh, where can our viewers find it? Where can they purchase it? August 20th, 2013 is the release date. It should be anywhere, even possibly in Walmart's Barnes & Noble, oh, nice. Amazon. Dot com mm -hmm. um, should be readily available if you just Google it, Unveiling Grace. Unveiling Grace, which is uh, basically the same uh, kind of a, the DVD that is a story of your family. Uh, and you've, So you've got that and more, of course, in the writing of the book. Uh, we've shown the DVD, Unveiling Grace, on the show a few times in this time slot. Uh, plus, we've had you and your sons from the Adams Road Band as our guest. And as a result, many uh, viewers are aware of your story um, of coming out of Mormonism. But your book tells kind of like the rest of the story, the behind the scenes and things that haven't been told before. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why did you write the book? <laughs> I never intended to write the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. <laughs> um, it really is it really is fascinating. This new God has his own ideas. Yes, he does. <laughs> it was fall of, I think it was October of 2011, and I was in prayer one morning, and he, I, I heard, it, you're about to rise up. Because I'd had a really hard time in transition, leaving Mormonism, and it took me a long time to get rid of all the lies that I'd learned in Mormonism and replace them with the truth mm -hmm. in the Bible. I had to do probably five years of good, solid biblical study. Then I got to a place where I was starting to feel like I had some solid ground. And in prayer that morning, also I heard, you need to write. I thought, well, that's funny, you know, I, nobody wants to hear my story. I don't know what I'm supposed to write. So, you know how we like to bargain with God. I said, okay, all right, from noon to four, and whatever comes out has to come from the Spirit, because I don't know what I'm supposed to write. You know, all I've written in the past has been scholarly stuff. It's very kind of boring research. And... Um, I sat down and I was obedient and I wrote from 12 to 4 and at 4.01 my cell phone was sitting right next to me by the computer. It rang and it was the personal assistant of John Ankerberg. <laughs> And I knew who he was because he's one of the few Christian apologists who will step into Mormonism uh -huh. and talk about Mormonism. and. Um, they invited us to be, he invited Mike and myself on his show with Sandra Tanner. Now, I'm just uh -huh. blown away and yeah. I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, if I, if I obey and you do this, we'll, um, we'll have a good working <laughs> relationship. So, Latane Scott is a friend of mine. Uh -huh. She came out of Mormonism probably in the 70s right after she went to BYU. And she wrote a book for Zondervan several years ago called uh, The Mormon Mirage. Mm -hmm. It's kind of been a standard in uh, teaching people Mormon doctrine. And she keeps telling me, your story needs to be told, it needs to be told. So she actually pitched Micah and my story to Zondervan a couple years ago uh -huh. and they weren't interested. 
Interesting. So I emailed Latane and I said, I'm getting this funny thing from the spirit that I need to start writing. You know, maybe I'm solid enough on this side of the story to begin to write. And she said to me, I want chapter one by Monday. This was like <laughs> a Tuesday. And I said, okay, I don't know what'll come out and I don't know what I'm writing about. So I wrote a chapter and I sent it to her on Monday. And then she said, I want chapter two by the next Monday and it needs to be like 30 pages long. So I said, okay. So I wow. wrote a second chapter and sent it to her. And she said, I didn't want to tell you up front because um, I didn't know if you could write or not. But she oh. said, Zondervan just contacted me and asked me to write a book on Mormonism. And I just signed a contract for a series of nine books. And I'm unable to do it right now. She said, I think it might be time for your story oh, to wow. come to light. How interesting. Very kind of supernatural God thing. Uh -huh. So, of course, I don't want to tell my personal story. I don't want people to know all the awful things I went through and um, all those personal things you have with God, you know, and, and all of my sins and make all of that <laughs> public, right? So I pitched this book to Zondervan. She says, oh, I'll help you pitch a book to Zondervan. So we pitched this book called Mormon Giants in the Land. And I thought, oh, you know, Mitt Romney's running for president. <laughs> They'll be interested in the Mormon culture and some of the prominent Mormon people like uh, Glenn Beck and Mitt Romney. So I was going to write a book about that. Zondervan editors got together the next May and looked at the proposal. and. I'm at home one day, I get a phone call. I'm one of the major Zondervan editors. I just got out of a meeting. We'd like you to write a book, but not the one you pitched to us. Oh. She said, we just want to hear your family story out of Mormonism. <laughs> so there you go, crashing down there. Yeah. When you surrender your life to Christ, uh -huh. What his will is, is your will. Is your will, right. And you know, even though you didn't, you didn't want to do it that way, he, and your book is very good, by the way. It was written very interestingly. Mm. God, uh, he supplies, he makes it happen. Yes, I'd never written anything like that at all. Well, you said before. that the, your research papers or whatever you've been writing before <laughs> boring. was boring. Your your book was not boring right. by any stretch of the term. Well, that's because it's God's story, <laughs> and His story tends not to be boring. Yeah, oh, my goodness. so that's how the book came to be. Last summer, then um, I'm still professing full time, you know, mm -hmm. and I took the summer off and started writing the book and I it was got to be a 12 hour a day thing. I'd get up in the morning, early morning and worship and be in the word for a couple of hours before I could even begin to write. Mm -hmm. And then if I was kind of in the frame of mind where I had enough of the word in me, then something came out. And there were days where nothing came out. And so then there were other- So your noon to schedule didn't quite work out. <laughs> no. I was usually worshiping the Lord and in the Word from 8 to 10 in the morning, and then writing from 10 to 2. Then I took a lunch break, then I wrote another four hours, then I did wow. some exercise, then I did maybe another four hours. Wow, that's and, that's um, a lot of work. The spirit flowed, though, when I was... It was, it was so interesting to me because I'm such a new Christian. I'd never been as close to the Lord 
as when I was doing this project. Mm -hmm. So because it's constantly on my heart and I'm constantly seeking his will for it, he would give me phrases in the early morning mm -hmm. that needed to be in the book or make corrections or tell yeah. me things. I'd, I'd get ideas of things that needed to come out or be rearranged. It was just yeah, the most amazing. supernatural, amazing, amazing experience. It's does that. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, the Mainline Mormon Church is, is somewhat compelling to the outside world. They, you know, they have the missionaries out and, and, and there are outsiders who are drawn to the church. Mm. Now, the, we can't say that for polygamy groups. Outsiders aren't drawn to the polygamy groups unless it's some man who likes the idea of multiple sexual partners <laughs> but 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 the mainline church is a different story why is that true why are others drawn people outside of Mormon why are they drawn to the church Mike and I were actually looking for faith we were 25 when the Mormons missionaries knocked on our door we'd been to a Methodist church and been to another several mainline churches they seemed boring to us they just didn't make a connection of course this was in the 70s mm -hmm. um, I tell the story in the book that I kind of decided I wanted to get to know the Bible, so I uh, signed up for a correspondence course where somebody sends me materials, I fill them out on the Bible, and then I send them back and they send me the next. So I went mm -hmm. through the Old Testament right before the missionaries knocked on the door, and one of the things I was... I knew was true. These have to be latter days because Israel has returned, mm -hmm. you know. So Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, all those folks that are talking about latter days. Wow, I don't hear any pastors talking about latter days in the 70s when I went to church. So lo and behold, knock, knock, knock. Here uh -oh. come the missionaries and their badge says, latter The Church days. of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints only reason I listened at all um, right? was because it said Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Of yeah. course, they send out, now the polygamy groups don't send out any missionaries. They don't want people, you know, the, all these people to join. But the, the LDS Church sends out tens of thousands mm. of missionaries on there. And they make it sound, don't they kind of make it sound different, the, the actually joining the church different than it actually is once you get in what, the milk and then the meat or? Yes, the, certainly the, they didn't give us um, the Book of Abraham yeah. or anything from the Pearl of Great Price or, or Doctrine polygamy and Covenants. Or In fact, those things. as I recall, they started, these were the old flip chart days, they started us in with the Bible and hooked us that way and then started giving us homework out of the Book of Mormon. And I remember saying to them, ah, we don't know about this Book of Mormon thing, let's just stick to well, the Bible. Yeah, really? But constantly they were saying, no, you need to read this, read this. Mike mm -hmm. and I uh, were with the missionaries 10 weeks, two nights a week, and they dragged every, <laughs> probably mission presidents and bishop and whoever they could find to try to convince us the church was true and we weren't convinced. What took us into Mormonism? Mike, what, Mike had a job teaching at the university and one of the professors was Mormon. And the church got that man to love on Mike and his wife to invite us to dinner. And all of a sudden, these young little kids who had nothing had status in the Mormon church because of that relationship and status in the university community hmm. because of Mike and his relationship at work. Oh my goodness. 
Mormons really understand the role relationships play. At the beginning of your of your inundation, shall we say, into or integration into the Mormon Church, were you groomed to have a response uh, that you can look back on now and see a response uh, towards anything that came against your Mormon teachings, your Mormon doctrine? Yeah, we were actually told in the 80s not to read the book Mormon Murders. We were told not to read Emma. Um, really? Yeah. We were, we were literally told not to go certain places. It was of the devil. Did you wonder about that? Did oh, you I actually anyway? went those places and read those <laughs> books. Still, it didn't take me out of the Mormon church. I loved the people, the relationships, the family. You know, that's what they do really well. They sometimes do that better than Christians. Mm -hmm. And they, they and and so now that we have a ministry and we talk to people that are questioning Mormonism, what we find is the men are able to get into the Bible and reason out through the scriptures that Mormonism is not Christian. Mm -hmm. And then they're able to make a rational decision. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the mothers are so emotionally dug into the church because of the relationships and the family yeah. idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes it very difficult. Mm -hmm. and, and you've been blessed like few other people who are blessed coming out of the Mormon religion uh, with your husband coming with you and, and now your entire family is coming out. How did that happen that you were able to come out together? Sometimes families break up and marriages break up when you or faced with that kind of a crisis? By the grace of God Almighty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a little ahead of Mike and surrendered 10 months after Micah got sent home from his mission. Mike and I both got right into the Bible, but he was pretty stuck in his priesthood stuff and mm -hmm. wasn't sure he wanted to leave it. Mm -hmm. um, when I knew the truth, I took off my garments, I got a cross, I was still underground, though, kind of waiting for him. Mm -hmm. But my husband's an accountant and tech, techno geek by training, and I knew that as he read the Bible, he'd methodically come to where I was. Uh -huh. I think the problem is when people won't read the Bible, because when you don't mm -hmm. read the Word, the Spirit can't do its work. That's right, because he uses the Word to bring the truth to us. Um, I wonder if um, the reason that Mormon uh, polygamy um, holds women is, is because of the emotional, is it an emotional attachment? With, 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 Mormon, with Mormon women, they, they go through a unique pressure, don't they, than other women mm -hmm. of other faiths or, or of the world would go through? What, what is the pressure? What is that? that that they do it does to women. Well, I always, I can only speak for myself, but I felt like I had to have a perfect dinner on the table every night. My kids had to be perfect because how were we going to get other people to come into Mormonism if my kids didn't stand out? Therefore, my kids had to be smarter and better athletes and I was responsible for all that, mm -hmm. but I was also responsible for part-time work, and I was responsible for callings, and I was responsible for taking care of my in-laws. Um, it was a wow. kind of a harrowing life, you know, wow. and yet I believed I was working my way to the celestial kingdom, and that's how you do it. So I just did it, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
and it's hard, isn't it? Very difficult for a woman to fit all those roles. Remember, and the early women, the early Mormon polygamous women, fit all those roles in polygamy too. That that's quite a burden for them to. You have a chapter in your book entitled "God's Country," and you <laughs> wrote that as you were making plans to move to Utah from Indiana, your Mormon bishop uh, said that. Quote, you wouldn't like Utah. The Mormons don't live the gospel there, unquote. That's kind of a shocking statement. And coming from another Mormon, especially a bishop, what's up with that? His wife had gone to BYU and having come from the mission field in Indiana was quite surprised that there were, she thought, Mormons that lived a double standard, seemed on the outside to look like they believed in the church. But... <laughs> their behavior was such that they weren't living the commandments. Um, actually, my teenage sons ran into this as soon as we came to Utah in 1999. I remember Matt coming to me and saying, Mom, some of these guys at school are out drinking on Saturday night, and then they're passing the sacrament on Sunday morning. He was just blown away oh, by the you know, duality and the hypocrisy. So he saw they weren't living the gospel just by that and probably several other things. I, no, I here there's a strong cultural pull. Yeah, you know. it's cultural. Mm -hmm. It is. Some more. Did you find out later from your own experiences, other than what your son said, uh, that they didn't live the gospel here? Were there other instances that... I'm sure there are those who do and those who don't. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, people know whether you're living what you believe or not. I mean, basically, that's the bottom line. You have a chapter entitled "Something Is Rotten in the State of Deseret," <laughs> yeah. and you wrote, and I quote: "When we moved to Utah, we faced a culture that was decidedly offbeat." if not noticeably rank and gross. Yes, racism was definitely a rotten piece of fruit, and so was polygamy, end quote. Did those two issues, uh, racism and polygamy, mark the beginning of the crumbling of the integrity of the Mormon church, or did they affect you at all at first? Racism was my issue, and polygamy was my husband's issue that kind of broke the back of the church. But this is funny. When I came to BYU my second year here, I was asked to teach diversity, which I loved. That oh, was right yeah. up my alley, right? But my students started teaching me about some of the racism that's in the Mormon scriptures that I'd been a Mormon then for like 25 years, and I really wasn't even aware of some of the stuff in the Book of Abraham or in um, Alma in the Book of even Mormon. Even in the Book of Mormon, yeah. Yeah, that's still there, uh -huh. by the way. So as I'm trying to teach my students that dark-skinned people are really worth, um, you know, given a chance, they're telling me, no, 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 it's in the scriptures. Black is less than white. Yeah. So I, was, I just thought, how in the world am I going to teach a diversity class when I've got people that just shut down because they believe it's in the scriptures, so they don't care what Wilder says, yeah. you know? <laughs> So in that class, what I did was made them go out into the community and work with dark-skinned folks all semester and then Ooh. come back and we talked about oh, it. interesting. And it was, it was wonderful. Sometimes I'd have students break down and cry because they'd had these racist ideas and then they'd spend a semester with folks and they'd gotten to love them and realize that maybe their belief system wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. So rather than 
my saying, oh, the Mormon church isn't true because we have all these racist scriptures, I said, God must have brought me to BYU to fix this problem for the Mormon church. Now, how funny is that? Because women can't really fix anything without the priesthood authority. But I thought, well, this is my thing to do. I really want to fix this. So while I was at BYU, by the grace of God, an accrediting agency came to my college and we failed accreditation or we were put on probation for two years because we weren't Ooh. attending to assessment and we weren't attending to diversity. So we weren't hiring any diverse faculty mm -hmm. at BYU and my college. We weren't recruiting any diverse students and the teachers that we were training were not going out into enough diverse environments. Oh, wow, so I thought, oh, I'm gonna fix this for the church. <laughs> So my boss at the time is just a wonderful woman. She and I and another colleague wrote a grant and we got a million dollars, almost a million dollars over four years to bring minorities into BYU, into the teaching field. Oh. Yeah, that seemed like a good thing to do. So then I was the mentor for as many as 60 students at a time. And I had a whole staff and um, wow. Those students then sometimes came up against some institutional racism and sometimes individual racism with um, my colleagues. Mm -hmm. And all, I had once been the little darling that had been hired that everyone loved and gave me the, um, nominated me for early research awards and stuff. And all of a sudden I'm defending something that yeah. was kind of problematic. Is that right? So they looked at you kind of maybe as a troublemaker or, or two, <laughs> maybe not troublemaker, but uh, as somebody who maybe stirs things up that they would rather kept unstirred? I think the culture is pretty strong. I remember coming here thinking, wow, these people came across the plains and nobody's visited them for 150 <laughs> that's, years. That's about right. That's and the most <laughs> peculiar culture has developed. <laughs> Uh, what, you said your, your husband's, your problem was racism, your husband's was polygamy. Uh, why was his, why was his polygamy and what was the particulars on that? Mike kind of ignored the idea of polygamy and just always told me, eh, I'll never live it, don't worry about it, you know, we'll become God and goddess, but we don't have to have anybody along <laughs> with Multiple us. goddesses, huh? We didn't worry <laughs> about it much. But when we came to Utah, Three or four months after we were here, it was our 25th wedding anniversary, and we went down to Zion and um, we're having dinner one night, and a man comes in with multiple wives and all his children, and they have to set up four or five long tables, and my jaw just went like this. Uh -huh. And the waitress was watching me, and she, <laughs> she came over and she whispered, she said, now, coming from Indiana and being a convert, I didn't know there were polygamists. I didn't know there were as many as 100,000 polygamists. You didn't know polygamy was <clears throat> still an active um, practice here, huh? You didn't, really. Well, the church wasn't going to tell us that. I mean, you know, no. Occasionally, you'd see fundamentalists on television or something, but mm -hmm. I thought those were really isolated pockets. Mm -hmm. Also, when I started supervising student teachers in the schools, Le in Lehigh in particular, I ran into polygamous families. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, a lot of those families dressed very modern, uh -huh. didn't look like the Some of them do. polygamous families oh, in the yeah. South, you know. 
south right. of Utah. That was a shocker to us. And then Mike started running into men who would wink, wink, nod, nod about how they were sealed to more than one wife. Oh. Well, I got divorced from my first wife, but we didn't get a temple divorce, and I remarried, and so I'm going to have both of them. Up in heaven. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. So you weren't aware of the, more, the polygamist history when you joined the church? I thought they were polygamists, and we asked the missionaries about that, and they just told us that... Um, it was only practiced by a few people, and it was because all those nasty Missourians killed all of those Mormon men, and then those wives had to be taken care of. They, you, you wouldn't expect them to leave the Mormon church. So that one of the myths uh, uh, the, the, that they propagate about why they live polygamy, of course. And we didn't know the truth, so we just believed yeah, it. Yeah, and, and most people do, and they don't research it. You know, it makes sense. So they they got oh. better things to look into. In the same chapter, something is rotten in the state of Deseret. You made two comments about your spiritual health. Health. Mm -hmm. You said the first was your cataleptic allegiance to the Mormon church, and the second was mm -hmm. that something may be needed to break that trance. Would you explain what you meant and what happened to break the trance? A couple of things toward the end helped me with this. I was teaching young women, and I went to the Internet and pulled off some Enzyme articles to supplement my lesson in the manual. And I actually got in trouble for not following the manual word for word and pulling in extra sources. Oh. This was a lesson about faith, and the manual doesn't say anything about blind faith. It just says, follow the prophet. That's where your faith <laughs> is, follow the prophet. So I had a member of the bishopric in there, in that young women, there were probably 12 young women in there, and another young women's leader, and the member of the bishopric. and. Um, he kept using the term blind faith. And I, and I finally said, excuse me, sir, you know, because you have to be really <laughs> nice to Mormon <laughs> priesthood. Excuse me, sir, nowhere in this lesson does it have the uh, term blind faith. And he said, you are to follow blindly whatever the prophet said, you do not question. He made it very clear. Praise God, I had some of those kind of experiences. Uh -huh. I went home and said, I don't think so. <laughs> and did you talk them over with your husband? Did yeah. He, what what mm -hmm. did he think? Did he, he was with me. Really? Yeah. Even mm -hmm. though he was a priesthood holder and, and had uh, authority over you, you, he still agreed with? Yeah, the trance-like thing, um, this was an interesting thing you probably read in the book. When we moved to Florida, we were kind of running away from Mormonism and trying to figure our lives out. It was 08, you know, six months mm -hmm. after we got there was the time that the government went into Texas and pulled mm -hmm. the 400 children right. out of the polygamy compound. Yeah. And then all those FLDS women were paraded across the news. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching them and they've got the same clothes on and they're saying the same phrases and I had this eerie ooh something's freaky here and then I went oh that's exactly like my students at BYU they pretty much wear the same clothes they say the same phrases they're um, they really do march to the same drum and so I got to thinking of that as kind of 
cataclyptic following, you know, without even thinking, using your reason, reasoning mind in the area of faith. At BYU, we taught our students to reason everything out in biology, in education, in any of the scholarly areas. But when it came to faith, you don't reason anything out, you don't question anything, you pretty much follow blindly like the uh, member of the bishop said. I wonder said. why that doesn't click. I wonder why people can't connect the dots that the, the checking things out works for the rest of the life but not with religion. That's Well, first we know the devil has uh, all his power involved with this, but still. Yeah, and for me, I I really think the New Testament says there's a spirit of blindness, mm -hmm. that the God of this world, who is Satan, mm -hmm. blinds the eyes and stops the ears mm -hmm. of the unbelievers. And I believe I was in that state. I think I, we, we all are until, until the, the Word of God opens our eyes, until Jesus comes and does that. We all are. And when he did that, then I was more aware of the state I had been in and I think the state that my Mormon friends were in. Doctrine and Covenants 82.7 says, quote, Unto that soul who sinneth shall former sins mm. return. You wrote about that, uh, the way the, the Mormon religion handles sin, which is exactly the way the polygamists have. I was taught that as well in the polygamy group. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's a terrible burden of repeated sins, and that all previous sins will return if they're repeated after a repentance process. At the end of the day, isn't that teaching that Jesus' sacrifice is useless? Yes. Powerless? Yes. Was that a huge burden for you? I mean, we all ha have repeated sins of some sort. Do you know, Mike sat on a high council for 20 years in, in bishopric meetings and as a high, high counselor number two. You know, you work your mm. way up. Mm -hmm. And um, he, he got to be high counselor number two in Indiana. And he sat on a lot of church courts. And he would come home and tell me sometimes stories or you know, I didn't, couldn't know any names, but I had general ideas of how people were being disciplined. And we thought that was a good thing, you know, until it happened to my son. You thought it was a good thing that sins came back? No, I thought it was a good thing that people were disciplined, that the church excommunicated them and made them okay. work their way okay. back. Yeah. You know, okay. because that's how you keep sin at bay. You know, you follow the church. Yeah. One of my sons went through a time where he was quite humble and repentant. He had done some kind of normal college sins, and he went to the bishop to report them, and the bishop has to report to the stake president. Stake president has his clerk call him up one day. He came in, they asked him just like that. Oh, wow. He comes to my house. He's hysterical. He's just bawling. Mom, I've been excommunicated. He told his dad first, and then they both came and told me. Now my brain's going, wait a minute. This kid repented, and they took his salvation away. They took his baptism away. I thought it said in the Bible you're supposed to forgive 70 times 7. It's not that he's in sin and he won't repent. Right. He repented and then he got punished. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it works in Mormonism. And until God made it personal for me, I didn't get it. Uh-huh. Then I went, wait a minute, that means the atonement 
didn't cover these sins and the Mormon priesthood has to somehow right. take care of them. Right, exactly. That was a problem for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was for me too. It was just something that was a, was a terrible burden. And it came to the place in my own experience where uh, because certain sins are repeated, in, especially as a child as you're growing up, and, yeah. and my sins were all washed away, they said, when I was baptized. Well, they weren't because only Jesus' blood does that. But they said it was the baptism that did it. Well, the first sin that I committed after I was baptized was I lied about something. Every lie I had ever told came back on me. And I was just a kid, you know. And how do you get rid of those lies then? And, and you know you're going to lie again next year and maybe mm -hmm, five mm -hmm, years from now. Mm -hmm. It's a hopelessness. It's total hopelessness in the end, if you look at it. Hopelessness and fear. Uh -huh. And those are exactly the opposite of what the Christ of, of the Jesus Bible is. offers. Exactly. It says in First Timothy, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, right. but of power and of love and uh -huh. of a sound mind. Those are the things that the... Christ of the Bible offers. Mm -hmm. The Christ of Mormonism offers fear. A fear, right. Shame, mm -hmm. guilt, guilt, retribution. Mm -hmm. And 1 John 1 9, um, I thought I would quote with that because it fits right in with it where it says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins. A-L-L, -L, all our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, verse 7 tells us that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies mm -hmm. us from all sin. That word all is inclusive of every sin. So if you're cleansed, if you're purified, if you're forgiven, if the sins are washed away, how can they come back? Right. They can't. But the Doctrine and Covenants says there are some unforgivable sins, which was another piece of this that just made me crazy. How can there be, if, if Christ can forgive all sins, how can there be some sins that right. His blood didn't cover? Those are opposite doctrines. Right. And Jesus Himself said, there's only one unforgivable sin. Mm -hmm. Only one. Jesus said that. And he's the one that we need to listen to, not who, whatever the, these religious people yeah. say. One of your problems you mentioned in your book was uh, you, it was difficult for you to handle the punishment by a religious hierarchy on a fellow sinner. Uh, after they'd repented of a moral sin, uh, and where this person is a sinner too, judging this sinner, how that, that you just couldn't quite wrap your mind around that. Well, when, when Josh was excommunicated for what he did, God bless him for allowing me to tell his story in the book. It's amazing how freeing it is to be able to talk about mm -hmm. your own sins, then they have no hold it over you Mormons. It definitely is. Uh, <laughs> He had another friend who did the same sin at the same time, went to see his bishop, hand slap, you know, three months of whatever, not being able to pray in church or something, and oh that my. was that. So same sin, different same punishment. Sin. That, and that was another thing that stirred me thinking, wait a minute, we've got a priesthood hierarchy who's making these decisions supposedly from God, then how can we have opposite results right. for the same sin? And then what did Jesus say in John chapter 8? He who is without sin gets mm. to throw the first stone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A sinner cannot judge another sinner. Yeah. Only Christ.
only Jesus, the one who is. Yes. Out of all the false beliefs that you learned in Mormonism and you became a Christian, which was the most difficult for you to accept as being false? I think the last one I hung on to was families forever. Just that's so hard for so many. Because I was a Mormon woman with an emotional attachment, and I couldn't imagine heaven without my family. I didn't know how the new heaven worked. Now I'm in the family of God, and that family's so much wow, bigger. It's so much better, isn't it? When and you have the truth. I could never wrap my head around the Mormon heaven. So if my kids are grown up and married, how is it they're going to live with me and on my world? That didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And then what? Then I have to go visit them across the universe. You know, the doctrine, if you reason it out, just makes no sense. It doesn't make sense, and yet that. That's a stroke of of genius in, in the serpent's way he deals with false religion because that is so powerful mm -hmm. for people. When they want to leave, they won't for that reason. Or when they do live, it just makes leave. It just makes them terribly um, um, uh, guilt ridden. And I wonder if that's part of the basis of shunning here. You know, if you're not going to be our family in eternity, what we we might as well not even have you here. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's just a thought. Well, I kind of had to go through that thought process with Micah when he became Christian. Then he's got the label apostate. Mm -hmm. Then he can't go to the temple, then he can't get into the Mormon celestial kingdom, then he can't live with us. So I kept asking God, am I supposed to outcast him and his new wife because they're Christian? So that means I only have three kids instead of four kids? Yeah. Can I yeah, do, can that? do that? But God, so funny, you know, he takes Micah first and Alicia, <laughs> and he takes Matt. Oh, no, now it's 50% of my kids and their wives, you know? And then I'm, I'm having this conversation one day with God. Why did you have to take all my kids into Christianity? <laughs> and, and I heard this, um, I knew you'd be disturbed with the first one. I knew you'd be disturbed with the second one. He said, I knew if I took your only daughter, you'd really give it a serious <laughs> look. One by that was one. how I felt he was talking to me. Oh, that's <laughs> choice. Uh, what kind of pressure, um, we've talked about this earlier, about the Mormon women, where they go, do, 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 you know, and you talked about, well, how much, the, is that pressure on the men as well, this do, do stuff, or is it more on the woman than it is the man? Boy, you'd have to ask Mike that question. I think he felt the pressure as well. Men really want to um, advance in the ranks. Mormonism makes it very clear. It's almost like a gang. You know, you know what the rules are to stay in and stay out and how to, how to advance. And any line. organized system or institution kind of does that for yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, the Mormon church does that. You know how to be good. You know how to stay on the right side. You get your temple recommend. You know what to answer to those 14 temple recommend questions. And then you'll be rewarded. And the Book of Mormon says you'll be rewarded physically and spiritually. So it's kind of a robotic response uh, to all the religious doctrine rather than a true love of God. Yeah, it is definitely following the rules and following what the prophet says rather than loving a wonderful, huge God of grace. We're going to talk about the biggie of God in, in a minute. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about your son Micah. 
you talked about in your book, he made the decision to give his testimony of Jesus Christ instead of Joseph Smith to um, an audience of Mormon peers. And he made several unforgivable statements. And one was that the Bible was the word of God. <clears throat> and another one was that he talked only about Jesus Christ and not the restored gospel. Don't you think it's rather odd, and did you think that at the time, that a church that claims to be Christ's church will penalize somebody for talking only about Jesus? I had the hardest time <clears throat> understanding why he was in trouble. <laughs> if he's professing Christ and he's loving Christ, and he's having some questions about Mormonism, why would you outcast him? Why don't you love him back to where you think he needs to be? And what's wrong with professing Christ? Yes. You know, that was just, yeah, that was... In the Church of Jesus Christ. Blew my mind. Uh, and, and you don't have to... Why, why, and even they'll, they'll let you profess Christ if you profess Smith, Joseph Smith too, but, but he's got to be in the mix there. And well, this just, is kind of how how he got in trouble that his mission his mission president noticed that he was only bearing testimony of Christ over the last several months and he'd been a leader in the mission um, so he, he set up this training for the missionaries that you don't have a true testimony if you don't have all five points of the true testimony I know the church is true I know Joseph Smith was a prophet of God I know he saw God in the you know, in the grove, and then I think it's the Mormon scriptures and the living prophet, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the last thing was the Bible. Mm. The last on the totem pole. And notice Jesus isn't actually even <laughs> mentioned in yeah, there. Yeah. So Micah said he'd just given a two-hour training on that. And so what Micah had come to know by reading the New Testament was that Jesus was enough. Mm. And so he stood mm -hmm. up and so said that. Said. So yeah, that was offensive to them. Because, that's too bad. Yeah. Too bad that Jesus is offensive to them. Did you find that you had a Mormon filter in your mind that kind of um, inhibited, inhibited your true understanding of scriptures as you began to re read the Bible? Was it difficult for you to get past some of your Mormon teachings as you read the truth? It was so difficult, Doris. I, like I said, I literally think it took me five years until I started to be on solid ground. I was so dug in Mormonism. I had taught gospel essentials. I had taught seminary. I knew Mormon doctrine and it was in my head. Mm. And so when we first started going to a church, um, in Florida, Mike and I would sit in Sunday school and he kept going, should I say that? Is that Mormon or did we read that in the Bible? <laughs> you know, we were just so confused at first. There are a lot of things that Mormonism teaches you that aren't true that you have to relearn. And so it's a constant sorting and pitching and you have to be in the Word every day. Yeah, you do, you do. And, and a lot of prayer and it is, it is a process, but it certainly does. It was exciting to me. I loved it. I loved learning the truth. Addicted. It's so excited. <laughs> I, ha yeah. I say I had to be peeled off the ceiling because mm -hmm. I, I would jump to this. I'd just jump with joy when I got the excitement of learning things that mm -hmm. was so different than I had learned in the polygamy group. When people call our ministry, it's just funny. People will say, I don't know what happened to me, but I can't put the Bible down. Uh-huh, that was you know, it. Say, oh, yeah. Then, then you know something's <laughs> moving in there, don't you? you? Yeah. Um, 
as you study the Bible, I'm, I'm moving forward a little bit here. Uh, did you find differences and contradictions be what you've been taught, the Bible taught, with what the Bible really taught? <laughs> you mean what Mormonism said the Bible taught and uh -huh. what the Bible taught? Yeah. Well, you know, when I taught seminary, we never, ever, ever read the Bible in context. We didn't read, like, all of John 9. Yeah. What, what we would do is cherry pick scriptures out of the word uh -huh. that corroborated Mormon doctrine. In fact, I remember teaching Relief Society, and in my Relief Society manual that I taught from and that all the women had, the scriptures you were supposed to be reading were right there in the manual. You didn't even have to open Ooh, your word because goodness. if you did, you might see in context that that wasn't actually what that was saying. Uh-huh. Wow. What were some of the contradictions that you, that you run into as you discovered that you'd been taught? Um, one of the most blatant ones for me was God does not live in temples made by man's hands. Oh, that's, that, that was where you pulled, peeled me off the ceiling, really. I thought, that's so obvious. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this isn't the same Jesus. Yeah. No, yeah. no. Why have temples? And, you know, the our group didn't have a temple, but and some polygamy groups do have temples, but they still had places, you know, uh, holy places, they called them. But God doesn't dwell there. No. He does not dwell in anything built by human hands. Right. He dwells in us once we give our life to Him. And only if we give our lives to Him. Mm -hmm. You wrote about um, your daughter's journey to biblical truth and how she was waiting for someone to mediate God's truths to her mm -hmm. and then realize that her relationship is directly with God himself rather than through the, the bishops and the priests and the apostles and all these other men. Uh, how special was that to her and to you? It was so special to her that the night terrors that Katie had lived with for eight years disappeared when she wow. came to Jesus. Oh, wow. She t had night terrors about war and blood and death and fear and running away and demons, and they haunted her mm. for a long time. And when she began to read the Bible and knew that Jesus, she could talk to Jesus herself, she said her dreams turned from night terrors to dreams of the Lord and her wow. relationship with Him. Oh, how special that is. Great. Yeah. In the chapter, uh, The Point of No Return, <laughs> you wrote about the way Mormons look at a no-work salvation. Would you explain how you came to understand the power of salvation by grace through no works but that the true salvation produces good works. And what was your reaction the very first time that you got it? I bawled. <laughs> I was sitting in a church service and uh, we were a couple of years at least um, into Christianity before the whole import of God's grace hit me. Mm. What I find with Mormons coming out is even though they become Christians and surrender their lives to God, they keep saying, now what do I do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do I do? It's what do I do? do? What do I do? It? Right. They want to do something. And I, I was the same way. I wanted to uh -huh. do something. I didn't understand what the scripture says, rest yeah. in Jesus. You surrender to him. His life, your life is now his. Yeah. And then he'll produce stuff for you to do. He'll bring things for you but to do. But you do not <laughs> knock on doors and say, please, please have me on your TV show. <laughs> 
But when God opens the door, and then you step in. Yeah. So did you get confused with James 2.17, where faith without works is dead? Did that confuse you any after you discovered the grace? We, we that was pretty um, freeing for me to know that once I gave my life to Jesus, the works were His. I understood that they were now his works. They're mm -hmm. not my works, mm -hmm. and there's nothing. My works are filthy rags, which yeah. means menstrual right. <laughs> rags. Right. Yeah. Okay, we only have a few minutes, so I, I really want to get into this one about big sizing your God. I want to uh, quote Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 15, uh, where it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, mm -hmm. or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And then verses 25 and 26 in the same chapter, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. We are looking at a huge God here. Joseph Smith downsized God. When we become Christians, we see how we have to, you wrote in your book, biggie size your God. Yeah. <laughs> you sold him I short. I did not know. I did. I sold him short. I did not know that God could answer prayer all day, every day. Yeah. I didn't know that he never slept. I didn't know he was always at work. I didn't know he loved me. I didn't know that he planned every day when I was formed in the womb. I didn't know these things until I read the Bible. I didn't know that God himself engraved my name on, on the, the palms palm of, of his, his hands. hands. Isn't that great? And that big God can answer prayer and he can do anything he wants to do, and, and we don't have to worry. Read the book Unveiling Grace. I tell story after story of pr pretty supernatural, amazing things that this new God did. And once he does that, you're, you're hooked. I'm yeah. not going back. Yeah, yeah. And, and to know him is to love him. I like to say that, especially for people who leave uh, and then they reject God as well. Uh, Lynn, thank you for coming. Again, her book Unveiling Grace. Uh, is available at any bookstore. Mm -hmm. It's available um, at Amazon.com, right? Uh -huh. And yes. so you can find her book and read it and <clears throat> enjoy it and love it. And she can, they can contact her, uh, whatever you want to do to learn about her big God. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. You know, Jesus said... Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But Aldous Huxley said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you mad. And we can certainly vouch for that. We discuss biblical truths on our show, and we make a lot of people very mad. But we must speak the truth anyway. We need to expose the lie by comparing it with the truth, and that's the purpose of our show. People get mad when they hear about free grace. They get mad when we say celestial marriage is not God's way to heaven. 
They get mad when they hear that their religion isn't the only true church. They get mad when they hear that Jesus Christ is God. They get mad when we teach the Bible is God's only revealed word to mankind. But all these things and more is precisely what God has told us. The Bible tells us that the people were divided because of Jesus. But we have his testimony about himself. Jesus unites enemies against uh, against himself with the truth. On, in Luke 23, 12, Herod and Pilate became friends before they that they had been enemies and that's a sad story that their friendship developed simply through their mutual hatred of Jesus the Pharisees also got mad when Jesus claimed to be God when he claimed to be the only way to the Father the truth shall indeed make many people mad but we know our testimony is that the Bible is true. We know, and our testimony is that we can trust every word in the Bible. We know that truth doesn't change, that doctrine doesn't change, and that God himself never changes. We know eternal life is a gift of God's grace. We know you don't have to work for it and that you'll never get it if you try, and that's the truth, and we hope that doesn't make you mad. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.